And welcome back to The Word Encounter, episode 160, where today we will be picking up in Ezekiel chapter 33. The section title says, Ezekiel as Israel's Watchman. In verse 2, it says, Son of man, speak to your people and tell them, suppose I bring the sword against the land, and the people of that land select a man from among them, appointing him as their watchman. And suppose he sees the sword coming against the land and blows his ram's horn to warn the people. Then if anyone hears the sound of the ram's horn but ignores the warning and the sword comes and takes him away, his death will be his own fault. Okay, that makes sense, right? You get a warning, you don't heed the warning, then you suffer the consequences. Let's drop down to verse 6. It says, however, suppose the watchman sees the sword coming but doesn't blow the ram's horn so that the people aren't warned and the sword comes uh, and takes away their lives. Then they have been taken away because of their iniquity, but I will hold the watchmen uh, accountable for their blood. And so, yes, the people were evil and wicked and they got taken away, but the watchman got the warning, but he failed to pass along the warning. So the Lord says he's going to hold the watchmen accountable for their blood. As for you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. When you hear a word from my mouth, now this is, this is very important. When you hear a word from my mouth, give them a warning from me. See, so this isn't coming just from Ezekiel himself. The Lord is making sure. He says, when you hear me tell you something, then make sure they know that what I'm telling you is from me. Then it says in, voice eight, in verse 8, if I say to the wicked, wicked one, you will surely die, but you do not speak out to warn him about his way, that wicked person will die for his iniquity. Yet I will hold you responsible for his blood. See, again, so we see here that people are going to suffer their own consequences, you know, based on their own behavior which is the way it should be. But since the Lord made Ezekiel the watchman, if he doesn't pass along, along that warning, <laughs> then he's going to hold them accountable for their blood. It says in verse 9, But if you warn a wicked person to turn from his way and he doesn't turn from it, he will die for his iniquity, but you will have rescued yourself. And so uh, he says if, if, if a wicked person... If you warn them, but they don't turn, then that's on them. But you will have rescued yourself. Then it says in verse 10, Now, as for you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, you have said this, Our transgressions and our sins are heavy on us, and we are wasting away because of them. That's good self-awareness. <laughs> then it says, How can we survive? He said, We've been so wretched. You know, how can we save ourselves? In verse 11, it says, uh, tell them, as I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God. I take no pleasure. This is so important. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. The Lord does not take pleasure in the killing of people. But rather that the wicked person should turn from his way and live. Repent, repent of your evil ways. Why will you die, house of Israel? And so uh, I think the Lord is confounded many times because people... Uh, they do things uh, that are against their best interests, and they do this knowing that it's against their best interests. And the Lord is, is, is pleading with them, live, live. But it's almost as if they're saying, yeah, we would rather die. In verse 11, now, son of man, say to your people, the righteousness of the righteous person will not save him on the day of his transgression. 
Neither will the wickedness of the wicked person cause him to stumble on the day he turns from his wickedness. The righteous person won't be able to survive by his righteousness on the day he sins. Huh. When I tell a righteous person that he will surely live, but he trusts in his righteousness. See, he doesn't trust in me. He doesn't trust in God. He doesn't trust in the Lord. He trusts in his own righteousness and acts unjustly, then none of his righteousness will be remembered. And he will die because of the injustice he has committed. So the Lord is saying, look, if you've been a righteous person, but you've gotten to a point where you are now trusting in your own righteousness, you see, you're, you're, you're trusting in your own holiness, and therefore that leads you to act unjustly, then none of what you have previously done will be remembered and you will die because of the injustice that you have committed. So when I tell a wicked person, you will surely die, but he repents of his sins and does what is just and right. And so he repents of his sins, but that's not good enough. He then turns and he starts doing what is just and right. Uh, he returns collateral, makes restitution for what he has stolen, and walks in the statutes of life without committing injustice. He will certainly live. He will not die. See, when this person admits, I've been wrong, I repent, and then he turns from his wicked way and he starts living justly, then it says he will certainly live. He will not die. None of the sins he committed will be held against him. See, or none of the sins he committed will be remembered. And so we see that uh, just because one is righteous at one time doesn't mean that that righteousness can't turn down the line. Just because one is wicked at one time doesn't mean that that person can't turn. See, the Lord would much rather a person turn than to be punished. And so when we look at people today who are doing things unjustly, unrighteously, being evil and wicked, and sometimes we have the tendency, I say most of the time, we have the tendency to put people in a box and keep them there without realizing that they can turn from their wicked ways. And that is the preference of the Lord that they would turn. So let's go on down here to verse uh, 30. And verse 30 says, As for you, son of man, your people are talking about you near the city walls and in the doorways of their houses. So they're murmuring about you. <laughs> They're gossiping about you, Ezekiel. One person speaks to another, each saying to his brother, come and hear what the message um, and what the message is that comes from the Lord. So my people come to you in crowds, sit in front of you and hear your words, but they don't obey them. So they say, come on, let's go see what, what Ezekiel has to say from the Lord. You know, he's a prophet of the Lord. He's an oracle of God. Let's go hear what he has to say. So they go hear what he has to say, but they don't obey him. And in the word says their mouths go on passionately, but their hearts pursue dishonest prophet. Yes, this is interesting. Yes, to them, you are like a singer of passionate songs who has a beautiful voice and plays skillfully on an instrument. They hear your words, but they don't obey them. In other words, to them, you are an entertainer, Ezekiel. <laughs> I don't know what you thought of yourself. I don't know if I'm busting your bubble, but to them, you are a mere entertainer. In chapter 34, it says the shepherds and God's flock. In verse two, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God said to, says to the shepherds. 
Woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. See, now remember, a shepherd is some is a person that watches over other living things. You know, we tend to uh, think of them as animals, but shepherds also watch over people, watch over a flock of people. It says, shouldn't a shepherd feed their flock? You eat the fat, wear the wool, and butcher the fattened animals, but you do not tend to the flock. In other words, God is telling, through Ezekiel, telling the shepherds, look, you take care of yourself, but you don't do anything with the flock. You don't care about the flock. You don't care about their uh, well-being. It says in verse 4, you have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, uh, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. In other words, you've done nothing of of the primary function of a shepherd. You've done nothing. It says, instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. And so it's not that you ignored them. No, you took advantage of them. See, you took advantage of them for what they could do for you. This is a word of warning to to modern-day politicians and leaders. You know, are you just, you know, shepherding over people, you know, in order to get what you can get from them and you're not tending to their needs? Let's drop down to verse 10. It says, this is what the Lord God says. Look, I am against the shepherds. I will demand my flock from them and prevent them from shepherding the flock. The shepherds will no longer feed themselves, for I will rescue my flock from their mouths so that they will not be food for them any longer. And so the Lord is saying, look, you know, I'm taking my flock back because you have not watched over them. You have not shepherded over them. I'm taking uh, my fly back, and you will no longer be allowed to shepherd them. It's interesting that the word uses the word uh, uh, rescue. I will rescue my flock from you, from from their mouths, said the word. In other words, you've been eating the flock, see? You've been feeding off of the flock, but I'm going to rescue my flock from your mouth. We drop down to verse 17, or excuse me, to verse 14. It says, uh, I will tend to them in good pasture, and their grazing place will be... On Israel's lofty mountain, uh, they will lie down in good grazing place. They will feed in rich pasture on the uh, mountains of Israel. And so the Lord is saying, I'm going to take my flock back and I'm going to watch over them. I'm going to put them in good pasture. I'm going to give them a great grazing place. See, they're going to lie down in peace and security. I'm going to take care of my flock. But the flock gets a warning. In verse 17, it says, as for you, my flock. The Lord God says this, look, I'm going to judge between one sheep and another between the rams and the goats. See, when we get into Matthew, we see that the Lord separates the sheep nations from the goat nations, meaning that he's going to separate the people that have followed him from the people that don't follow him. So this is speaking into the future. He says, as for you, my flock, the Lord says this, look, I'm going to judge you one sheep from another between the rams and the goats. <clears throat> and just because you've been in the flock doesn't mean that you have been a righteous member of the flock. It says in verse 23, I will establish over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will shepherd them, he will tend them himself, and he will be their shepherd. Now this, of course, is referring to Jesus, see, because Jesus is in the line of David, and this is speaking into the future. And so, uh, 
Let's go on. Let's see. Did, uh, first, yeah, sorry I said that. So then let's go on. Let's go on into chapter 35. Yes. It says a prophecy against Edom. Now, we've already been through prophecies against Edom, so this is going to be short. It says in verse 2, Son of man, face Mount Seir and prophesy against it. Because you have man- maintained a perpetual hatred and gave the Israelites over to the power of the sword in the time of their disaster, the time of final punishment. Therefore, as I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God. I will destine for you bloodshed, and it will pursue you. Since you did not hate bloodshed, it will pursue you. Since you were so enamored with bloodshed, you know, when you were shedding other people's blood, well, therefore, it's going to be your portion. So what you gave out is going to be your portion. And so, again... With Edom, we've got to uh, remember that the Edomites uh, were cousins, if you will, of uh, the lineage of Jacob, of Israel, you know, because Esau and Jacob were brothers. And uh, but they they weren't allies to Israel. They were a thorn in their side. And so the Lord has uh, has it for them because of that. In chapter 36. It says, Restoration of Israel's Mountains. In uh, verse 1, it says, Son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel and say, Mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says. Because the enemy has said about you, Aha, this must be a, aha, must be a thing of the time because we see this a lot as a kind of an insult. Uh, The enemy has said about you, Aha, the ancient heights have become our possession. And so, in other words, when the uh, when the Israel uh, when the Israelites and Israel and Judah were were suffering at the hands of the Lord because of their apostasies, then their enemies were saying, "Aha, the ancient heights have become ours." You know, <laughs> so what they had is now we can now take over. It says in verse three, therefore prophesy and say, "This is what the Lord God says: Because they have made you uh, desolate." And have trampled you from every side so that you became a possession uh, for the rest of the nations and an object of people's gossip and slander. In other words, the Lord is telling Israel, saying, look, I have noticed how these people have reacted to your demise. I have seen them gloat. I have seen them become happy. I've seen them plan and scheme to take over your lands and territory. And he's saying, because I have witnessed all this, because they have done all this, Uh, It says, this is what the Lord God says. Certainly in my burning zeal, I speak against the rest of the nations in all of Edom who took my land as their own possession with wholehearted rejoicing and utter contempt so that its pasture land became plunder. See, so the Lord is saying, look, with my burning zeal, I speak against them because they did this. See, because of your demise, they gloated and they they took over your lands and territories and whatnot. He says, with my burning zeal, I speak against them because of this. And it says, look, I speak in uh, my burning zeal because you have endured the insults of the nations. I have noticed how you have been insulted. I have noticed how you have been, you know, uh, despondent because of what has happened and the piling on the insults of your enemies. And he's saying, I speak in my burning zeal because you have endured the insults. In other words, I'm coming to your aid. I'm coming to assist you. I'm coming to your rescue. In verse 7, therefore, this is what the Lord God says. I swear 
that the nations all around you will endure their own insults. In other words, God is swearing to repay them for what they have done. He's saying, don't worry, children. Your father will repay them for you. And then in verse 8, it says, you mountains of Israel uh, will produce your branches, branches and bear your fruit for my people Israel, since their arrival is near. In uh, verse 9, it says, look, I am on your side. I will turn toward you, and you will be tilled and sown. I will fill you, uh, I will fill you with people, with your whole house of Israel in its entirety. The cities will be inhabited and the ruins rebuilt. And so he's, he's prophesying to the mountains of Israel. He's saying, look, I'm going to refill you with people. I'm going to rebuild you. See, this whole thing is going to be restored in its entirety. And so, again, we're speaking out, again, like many scriptures, they have, you know, present day meaning at that time meaning, but they also have future meaning, you know, at the, at the second coming of the Lord. And so, as we're reading through this, we have to keep these two things in mind. <clears throat> It says, restoration of Israel's people. In verse 16, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, while the house of Israel lived in their land, they defiled it with their conduct and actions. Their behavior before me was like minstrel impurity. So I poured out my wrath on them because of the blood they had shed on the land and because they had defiled it with their idols. I dispersed them among the nations and they were scattered among the countries. Then I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel profaned among the nations where they went. And so when the nation, uh, when the, uh, God exiled the people and they went to the various nations, uh, the word is saying here that where, where they went, they profaned the house of Israel. See, in other words, they profaned God because of what they were doing. They carried their, their wickedness, evilness, and idolatry wherever they went. And the Lord is saying, because of this, they profane my name. And it says in verse 22, therefore, I say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says. It is not for your sake that I will act. See? It is not for your sake that I will act, house of Israel, but for my holy name, but for my own reputation. The world knows that you are my people. The world knows what has come about. The world knows that you have been dispersed and exiled. And when you were dispersed and exiled, you carried your idolatry and wickedness and evilness with you. And so my reputation in the world is being viewed through you. And so God is saying, look, I'm going to act, but not because of you, but for my own namesake. It says, which you profaned among the nations where you went. And we drop down, oh, come on. Ah, okay, there we go. And so the Lord is saying that he is zealous for his name. See? And he is, um, uh, um, he is a very active protector of his reputation. This is very important to the Lord. And it's something that many people take advantage of and don't realize uh, when they call themselves a believer or a Christian or whatever, and they're going out and they're doing whatever, uh, they don't realize that they're carrying the reputation of the Lord with them. Let's go on. Yeah, let's get chapter 37 in. Um, this is called the Valley of Dry Bones. It says, the hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by his spirit uh, and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. 
There were a great many of them in the surf, on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. Then he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I replied, Lord God, only you know. He said to me, Prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, Dry, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause, I will cause breath to enter you, and you will live. I will put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Verse 7, so I prophesied at, at, So I prophesied as I had been commanded. While I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. As I looked, tendons appeared on them, flesh grew, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. And so bodies were being created in this valley of dry bones, but they weren't alive. You know, it's like it was like they were in a morgue. And it says in verse nine, he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to it, this is what the Lord God says. Breath come from the four winds and breathe into the slain so that they may live. Verse 10, so I prophesied as he commanded me, the breath entered them and they came to life and stood on their feet a vast army. And so this is analogous to like if a person is going through life godless, you know, according to the word, they're going through life dead you know, <clears throat> and with no purpose. But then they get, a, they get a hold of the word. Somehow God speaks to them through a person divinely, however, and then life is breathed into them. And so uh, the winds are kind of analogous to the spirit of the Lord. And so the spirit is breathed into them and then they come alive. They come alive full of zealous, zealousness for the Lord, full of righteousness and justice and whatnot. And at that point, they start to live. And so we can see how spiritually God can bring people back to life. Then it says, this is what the Lord God says. I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them, my people, and lead you into the land of Israel. You will know that I am the Lord, my people, when I open your graves and bring you up from the dead. It says, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and you will and I will settle you in your own land. In verse 15, the reunification of Israel says, The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take a single stick and write on it, uh, belonging to Judah and, uh, uh, and the Israelites associated with him. Take another stick and write on it, belonging to Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and all the house of Israel associated with him. So we have two sticks, the northern and the southern kingdom. In verse 17, then join them together into a single stick so that they become one in your hand. When your people ask you, uh, excuse me, when your people ask you, won't you explain what this means? Tell them, this is, the, uh, this is what the Lord God says. I am going to take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, uh, yes, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, of Israel associated with him, and put them together with the stick of Judah. I will make them into a single stick so that they become one in my hand. Mm. My servant David will be king over them, and there will be a one shepherd 
for all of them. Again, my servant David. So this is re, re, uh, referring to future, de- uh, future times when Jesus comes. He's going to bring uh, Israel back together as one. And then Jesus will be king and there will be one king over all. It says they will live in the land that I give to my servant Jacob, where your ancestors lived. They will live in it forever with their children and grandchildren. And my servant David will be their prince forever. And then it says, when my sanctuary is among them forever, the nations will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel. And so we see here that, uh, again, we have this mixture of present day, again, back in that day, uh, prophecies, and then prophecies that are referring to things that are going to occur at a future uh, date and time. And so with that, we will conclude for today. And we will pick it up in chapter 38 tomorrow. Everybody be blessed and remember and never forget that Jesus is always available. Jesus is always available to be your Lord and Savior. All you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is Lord. And the Bible says that you shall be saved. If you have not made that confession, if you have not sincerely made that confession and meant it with everything in you, I highly encourage you to do that while the time is available. With that, take care. Be blessed. Everybody stay safe. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.